Among the various books on my bookshelves, large and small, there is a tiny volume with an interesting title, 101 Things I Wish I'd Known Before I Got Married. <laughs> I can't remember quite how it came to be on my bookshelves, but if you feel the need to read it, then just form an orderly queue at the door at the end of the service. <clears throat> Having listened to our reading this morning from Matthew's Gospel, uh, it occurs to me that perhaps somebody should write a companion volume entitled 101 Things I Wish I'd Known Before I Became a Christian. Because um, it's a pretty tough chapter, chapter 10 of Matthew's Gospel. Our modern, one modern translation gives the heading to the part of the chapter that Angela read uh, by saying, Jesus warns disciples of troubles that lie ahead. And in another version of the, the Bible, <clears throat> the various sections of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, have these headings. The missionaries will be persecuted, open and fearless speech, Jesus the cause of dissension, and renouncing self to follow Jesus. Not exactly a picnic. Sounds pretty heavy stuff, doesn't it? And I can imagine perhaps those who might have been here last Sunday morning being confirmed at the marvellous service then, they might be saying, well, perhaps we ought to have thought about all this before we were confirmed, rather than on the Sunday afterwards. Well, Matthew chapter 10, as I say, is one of those chapters that records some of the harder sayings of Jesus. There's a challenge to share the gospel, to go out to travel, but to, sh to travel light. There's a forecast that not everybody will be welcoming the good news that we have to share. There's the suggestion raised that we might even be dragged off to court and accused falsely for the things that we're saying. It suggests that we might find ourselves hated. And perhaps the most difficult of all the possibilities which is raised in those verses we heard this morning, the fact of defining divisions in our family life because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. It was there in verses 35 and 36. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own family. And a similar thought has been expressed even more strongly earlier on in this chapter. And indeed, if you read uh, the similar story, uh, the account of what Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, it is worded even more strongly there. It talks about the need for any potential disciple to actually hate mother, father, wife, children, brothers or sisters before coming a disciple. How on earth can we swallow all that? It really is hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine on a morning like this morning when we've rejoiced in a family occasion when a child is brought for baptism, supported by members of the family. The family we know is so central to life for many of us. It's hard really to imagine when we reflect on the teaching of Jesus um, and the whole setting in which Jesus was brought up, the Jewish background to our Christian faith, expressed in so many parts of the, uh, the Old Testament. The fact that marriage and family have been created by God for mutual support. One of the Ten Commandments, that we should honour our father and our mother. The traditions um, that were built up during the history of Israel of celebrating the great festival of the Passover, the time when they uh, rejoiced in God's redemption of their nation uh, in a wonderful way, that uh, release from slavery in Egypt. And every year that occasion was celebrated 
not by people going to church as we might do, but in families, gathering as families for the Passover meal, sharing certain readings and prayers, and always with the youngest member of the family, asking those pertinent questions. Why are we here? What are we doing? What is this all about? So that the older members of the family could fill in the details and so the story of God's goodness and mercy was passed on from one generation to another. The family is central to all that. And so how can religion, which is really supposed to be the cement of family life, also contain the possibility of tearing families apart? It really is the last thing we might expect from Jesus of all people. Well, I think it's important and I hope helpful to recognise that when a Jewish teacher used a word like hate, it wasn't used in the way that we would tend to use it. That um, term we use when we feel full of venom and spite towards somebody else, almost wishing them dead. You may remember that when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talked about the impossibility of somebody having two bosses, two masters. He used that phrase, either you'll love the one and hate the other, or hate the first and love the second. But when he said those words, it wasn't using the word hate in the matter of wish, in the, in the, in the way of wish you were dead, but a way of describing the difficulty of having conflicting loyalties and the need to choose. It is all about the tension of selecting priorities. And it was there in the life of Jesus himself as he went through his ministry. And as he predicts right at the beginning of this reading that we've heard this morning, the pupil isn't greater than his teacher, uh, the student than the, the tutor. And so if it was there in the life of the teacher, the tutor, it will be there in the life of the pupils. If it was there in the life of Jesus, it will be there in the lives of his disciples. So in a few minutes, I want to suggest just some ways or several ways in which this whole business of selecting priorities may be something of a problem for us. But first of all, I think it's just worth stopping and looking again at the life of Jesus and to see how this difficulty impinged on his own life. There are several instances in the Gospels where we read something about this conflict of loyalty that Jesus faced as he lived his life and set about doing his work that his father God wanted him to do. First of all, there's that one incident and the one and only incident we have in the Gospels recorded about the childhood of Jesus. When he was 12 years old and taken by his parents uh, to Jerusalem. The end of the days of celebration, they begin to make their way home only to discover Three days later, of course, that Jesus wasn't with them and wasn't with any of their relatives in the traveling party. They rush back to Jerusalem and find Jesus in the temple talking to the teachers. And Jesus on that occasion seemed to be quite unaware of the anxiety or the depth of anxiety that had been caused to his parents. And he simply turns around and says to them, well, why were you searching for me? Didn't you realize that I would be about my father's business? Well, who is this father? It's obviously not Joseph, is it? You see something of the tension there that was there in the life of Jesus himself. 
And then at one point in his gospel, Matthew uh, records an incident from the adult life of Jesus when his mothers and brothers <clears throat> come to find him when he was teaching a crowd. And someone says to Jesus, interrupting what he's saying, uh, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They're wanting to speak to you. And how does Jesus react? He doesn't say, oh, will you clear the front seats, please? We've got some rather important people outside. I want them to have the best seats in the auditorium. He doesn't say anything like that at all. He says, who are my mother? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples around him, he says, here are my mother, my brothers, those who do the will of God. Wonder how his mother and his brothers felt about that. We're told that they were standing outside wanting to speak to you. That phrase, standing outside, can be quite a painful one, can't it? Have you been stood outside? Have you been left out of a conversation that you would love to have been part of? Have you not been invited to a party that you wish you'd gone to? Or maybe you were invited to a party and when you got there you wish you hadn't been because nobody spoke to you. You were left outside. It is a very painful thing. And that phrase jars a little, doesn't it? What must the family of Jesus felt? It was for Jesus setting a matter of setting priorities. But of course, when we arrive at the end of the gospel story at the crucifixion, it is very clear that Jesus had not abandoned his mother. He hadn't abandoned his human family. He hadn't ignored the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments to honour his mother. And hanging on the cross, he thoughtfully and caringly commends his mother to the care of his beloved disciple John and commissions John to look after his mother. Jesus himself had to work through this way of setting priorities and sorting them out in the tensions. So what is this business about selecting priorities? Especially the priorities that can bring a clash between our duty to God and our duty to our families what might that mean for us? Well, I think it comes at different levels. And I'm going to suggest one or two examples, and you may identify with some, and there are others that you won't identify with. For some people, uh, first of all, the business of becoming a follower of Jesus means being prepared to realise that your family will cut you off. One of the commentators writing on this passage in Matthew's Gospel says that perhaps it's only on the Indian mission field that the force of this hard saying of Jesus can be fully realised. A place where for many people <clears throat> to convert to Christianity, they have to leave their home and their family or die to their family. Some people leaving the Muslim faith and converting and becoming Christians, followers of Jesus, have found that this is entailed leaving their families. Their families don't want to know them anymore. That choice is pretty extreme, but it's real enough for some in this world. On another level, the choice was pretty extreme for St. Francis, the great St. Francis of Assisi, and the great saints of the church. Francis had been born, you know, into a wealthy family, and after a period, living a period as a rather wild young man, he went off to fight in the army. And then came a dramatic conversion experience, which turned his life upside down. That call uh, to follow Jesus embraced a call to care for the poor, the outcasts, 
the lepers, the people who were at the bottom of the rubbish tip of society. But that loyalty to Christ clashed with the loyalty to his father, who was expecting that he would grow up uh, and behave in the way that the son of a wealthy family might be expected to behave. And the day of choice eventually came. And in front of the bishop who was trying to sort this out or help things, um, Francis stood up and he publicly declared, he says, up to this time, I have called Pietro Bernardone my father. But now I'm a servant of God. I will restore the money and even the clothes that he's given to me. And he ripped off all his posh clothes, threw them in front of his father, walked away, left his father behind and set off on his Christian journey, journey of discipleship, of course, which was a great blessing to many. And because of the religious order that he founded is, has and still is a means of great blessing to many people in this 21st century. And then again, other Christians have found that loyalty to Christ has brought them suffering because of the love that they had for their family. One of the people who got into trouble for preaching the gospel in this country 300 odd years ago was John Bunyan, writer of the great Christian classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, um, author of the hymn that we sometimes sing, To Be a Pilgrim. He was a nonconformist preacher in the days, when, uh, in the days of English history when nonconformists were not allowed to preach publicly. And because he disobeyed the law and continued to preach, he was thrown into jail. And he was in Bedford jail for 12 years. And the thing that troubled him most about being in prison was the effect that it would have on his wife and children. So should he be loyal to them so that he could be at home and disobey the call of God to preach? Or should he preach, accept the consequences, and as a consequence embrace his family in the suffering too. Or the well-known German Christian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who at the beginning of the uh, Second World War, enjoying being a lecturer in the United States of America, uh, decided voluntarily that he must come home to Germany and um, challenge that awful, wicked regime of the Nazi regime hit under Hitler that was rising at the time. And for his pains, he was put into prison. And he spent a large part of the Second World War in prison, in concentration camp, sadly just before the end of the Second World War was put to death. Some of the letters that he wrote um, during uh, those, that time of imprisonment were smuggled out and have been preserved and kept. They're entitled Letters and Papers from Prison. Some are letters to a friend, but some are letters that he wrote to his parents. And those letters to his parents are particularly poignant and they illustrate the cost that really must have cut like a knife through his heart, the cost of being true to Christ, but at the same time causing his parents deep heartache. Now all those sort of choices may seem a bit on the extreme side and we may not be called to go to those sort of extents. But uh, they come at these choices and clashes come at other levels too, don't they? Today, as Keen has already mentioned, we are uh, in the period of the Methodist Conference. The conference service will be taking place now, the main conference service, at which those who are due to be ordained today as presbyters or deacons will be, as we say, received into full connection. Very special service. 
uh, and then later on in the day uh, they will be ordained by the laying on of hands at five or six different services uh, around parts of Birmingham. And Martin is presiding this afternoon at an ordination service in Shirley on the outskirts of Birmingham. A friend of mine is being ordained this afternoon. She's fairly young and uh, she will be accompanied and supported by her parents and they will be there uh, full of joy and full of prayer because she has made this uh, answer this call to be committed to Christ. And there will be many other ordinance who will also be supported by either husband or wife or parents or children as their age dictates. Uh, people who are thrilled that they've heard God's call and thrilled that they've answered this call. But it isn't the same for all. For some people, their call to answer God's call to ministry will not have met with approval from their families. And their families will be sitting at home wondering what on earth they're doing. And those people will be there at this high moment of their life being ordained into the service of the Christian ministry without the support of their nearest and dearest. The conflict of them, for them, will be very real. For some people, the conflict lies within a marriage, a marriage which is, on the one hand, a Christian person, and the other hand, a not-Christian person. Sometimes those differences seem to be fairly easily resolved. I have a daughter who seemed to have managed quite well. She was uh, able to take her two boys to church without any difficulty, and her husband was not only happy that they should go, but was prepared to stay and cook the dinner while they were away. Well. That sounds a good bargain to me. <laughs> but again, it's not like it for all. And sometimes when there is a marriage and one partner is a Christian and the other partner is not a Christian, there's a very, very real clash of loyalties there. Uh, and it can be the, the source of aggravation because our commitment to Christ isn't just a hobby. It's not something we do on a Sunday morning for an hour. It is a whole way of life and an attitude to life and opinions about what goes on and how we should behave in life and all the rest of it. There are bound to be clashes. And of course for all of us, all of us who have close family and friends, whether they're elderly parents who need care, whether they're children that we're bringing up, whether they're nephews, nieces, grandchildren that we're looking after and all the rest of it, there are going to come those clashes of loyalty between the times when we think we ought to be doing something for God and the times when we think that we ought to be doing something for our families. For lots of us, it's there all the time. Uh, we're always juggling things. A week or so ago, I'd promised to take my youngest grandson up to Dover Castle. Two and a half years of age, it was going to be a great day of excitement. And I thought, whatever else happens, that must stay in the diary. And a few days later, I got to travel up to Leicester to collect my eldest grandson from university, take him, bring him home for the summer. Um, but along with those other things, I was trying to fit preparation for funerals in and preparation for service and being here on a Wednesday and all the rest of it. You know the sort of things because many of you have the same sort of pulls and tugs. We're not called to be disloyal to our family, but somehow we are called to put Christ first and then to try and get everything in perspective. And that clash of loyalties is sometimes hard. But as with all, the demands and the call of Jesus, and this is where I finish, Jesus makes it equally clear that there are rewards for obedience 
as well as the challenge of hard choices. And the rewards, just put very simply, are both here and hereafter. Before this heavy and demanding chapter of chapter 10, we find, uh, before this heavy and uh, very demanding chapter of uh, chapter 10 of Matthew's Gospel ends, we are given this promise. Because Jesus says, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. We may give up certain things in order to express our supreme loyalty to God, but what we find will be far in excess of what we give up. That's even here in this lifetime. And then hereafter, because Jesus says, those who acknowledge me before other people, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Public acknowledgement and putting loyalty to Christ first may sometimes be quite difficult, painful, or just very challenging. It may cost us popularity sometimes with those who are nearest and dearest to us, but the cost of any temporary unpopularity is far outweighed by the promise of eternal acceptance with God. The teaching of Christ is clear. Our God is faithful and he will honour anybody who has declared their loyalty to him. And so let's ask him to be faithful in our commitment to him. And the choir are going to sing the words of a hymn which is really a prayer and an affirmation that God indeed will help us in these sort of circumstances. God gives his people strength.